Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. This morning, we want to look at the story of the temptation of Jesus from Matthew chapter 4. If you have a Bible, go ahead and find Matthew chapter 4, but if you don't, it'll be up on the screen. I want to pray for us and then get into this. Jesus, we bless you uh, because you've been faithful to us. You've given us your word. You've given us the opportunity to read it, to study it, and to understand it. Everything we need to understand and apply this is available to us today. So Lord, I pray that you'd guide us in that process and that this would really change us and transform us. We want to be transformed every time we're exposed to your word. I pray that in your name. Amen. So um, I've mentioned this before on a Sunday morning that a couple years ago, I this is during my sabbatical, went and had a doctor's appointment and found out that I needed just a little bit of thyroid medication. The thyroid is this thing, it's kind of like the thermostat of your body, keeps you moving, regulates you a little bit. My thyroid's a little lazy, so um, I take this little tiny pill every morning to just kind of wake up my thyroid so that I can be my normal, bubbly, effervescent, sunshiny self. Did I hear you laughing, Judy? Okay. So I started taking this medicine, it's just a little tiny thing, uh, in 2017, and I started noticing, I have to take it first thing in the morning, and I'm not supposed to eat for 30 to 60 minutes until after uh, I've taken it. I noticed, and I didn't put all the pieces together, but I noticed that I started to get nauseous some mornings. I would get kind of like nauseous and sleepy right after taking this pill, and I didn't know what it was, but it didn't happen every day, so I didn't know what to make of it, and, and it took me a long time before I even associated it with this medication. Uh, And so I started just kind of paying attention like, okay, I didn't get nauseous today, take note of that. And then the next day I would get nauseous and okay, take note of that. And it only ever happened after breakfast. It never happened in the afternoon, it never happened in the evening. So I was like, what is going on? Well, over months of trial and error, because I'm too stubborn to Google something, I guess, After months of trial and error, I noticed I only get nauseous when I take my medicine and then eat cereal. And I decided, I thought, maybe it has something to do with milk. So I Googled it. And sure enough, they say, don't drink milk or dairy after taking this medication because it's going to cause you to have an upset stomach. And I thought, boom. And that helped me. So now I have to eat cereal for lunch and dinner like an adult. And so uh, that was something that was helpful. I'm kind of embarrassed that it took me so long to figure that out. But when I finally understood what was making me sick, it helped me make the changes that I needed to make in order to get better. Now, this morning, I don't want to talk to you about understanding what makes you sick. I want to help you understand what makes you sin. Sin is like sickness in your soul. Just like you feel sickness in your body sometimes and it prevents you from functioning at your full capacity and it makes you feel uneasy and it saps you of life, sin has that same impact on our soul. Sin 
you could really understand sin to be sickness of the soul, like an infection of the soul. It impacts much of what we do. Some people would say it impacts everything about everything that we do. So understanding what made me sick helped me stop doing it, and understanding what makes us sin will help us get freedom from sin. Just quickly, I want to look at James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, because there is this really nice, crystal clear explanation of this kind of process or evolution of sin in our hearts and in our lives from James chapter, James chapter 1. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So James lays out this process that's kind of like the, the inner workings of temptation. What is happening when we face temptation? Well, first James says, temptation does not come from God. Okay, I want you to be uh, clear about that. Temptation is not something that God does. Now, the word tempt in the Bible has a broader meaning than the word tempt in English. In the Bible, sometimes the word tempt means exactly what we think. It's like the leading towards sin. But other times in the Bible, the word tempt is simply a test. It's a test that reveals something. So tempting or testing. So if you ever come across in your Bible reading something that looks like it says, and God tempted, that's referring to a test, a test of faith. When it's referring to the activity of the devil, it's temptation towards sin. Does that make sense? I just want to make sure we understand the distinction there. Temptation does not come from God. It always comes from the devil. It also starts with our own lusts. Now, lust is not limited to sexual lust, although that is a big subcategory of lust. But lust is any desire for something that is forbidden to you. So, you know, inevitably I'll bring some sort of sweet thing home from a grocery store or something, and I'll tell my kids, you can't have any of these cookies. Oh, they lust for the cookies. They draw pictures of the cookies. They build Lego cookies and pretend to eat them. You know, like, they lust for the cookies. They didn't care that we had any cookies until I said, you can't have the cookies, and now that's all they care about. Well, that's lust. Once something is forbidden... That desire to have it, I want the thing that I can't have, that's lust. Sin starts there. And this is actually where it started in Genesis 3 with the serpent. And, and the only thing that they were forbidden to have was that fruit from the, knowledge, uh, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did he go after? He said, well, don't you want that? The one thing you can't have, don't you want that? And it, it provoked, or actually implanted for the first time in Adam and Eve, this lust, this desire for something that they couldn't have. Well, that lust, when it matures, it actually leads to sin, which is the acting upon that desire for something that is forbidden. And then sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And then the Bible, the way they talk about death and life, has to do with separation and connection. Death is separation. It's separation from God. It's separation from people, whereas life is connection. It's connection with God. It's connection with people. So this is the, kind of the pattern. 
It starts, sin or temptation does not start with God. It always starts with the devil. It, it hits on any lust or desire for something that is forbidden. It leads to a sinful act, and then the result of the sinful act is death. That's just a really simple explanation from James. Now, the Bible's clear all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory or the perfection or the holiness of God. We've all sinned. There is only one, we believe, that has not sinned, and that is Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that this is speaking of Jesus. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. This passage tells us that Jesus is our high priest and he can sympathize with our weakness. Like when we get tempted, he doesn't say, I'm sorry, I just don't know what that's like. He does know what it's like, yet he was without sin. Jesus knew how to stop that sin train in its tracks and have temptation come at him as an assault from the devil, but stop and not move toward lust, sin, and death. He knew how to do that. And so he's able to sympathize with us. Like he gets what it's like. He knows what temptation feels like. It says he's tempted in every way, the same way that we are, but he was without sin. That gives me hope because, okay, Jesus was a, he, he's God, but he was also a human being, and I'm a human being, and if he knew how to have victory over sin, maybe I can learn from Jesus how to have victory over sin and how to not fall into every temptation that comes my way. Does that make sense? So we're going to look at the story of Jesus' temptation from Matthew chapter 4. This is what we're going to really be looking at today. This is, a, this is a, I think, an essential story to understand Jesus and understand who Jesus was and who Jesus is and what he was about. This story follows right up on the baptism of Jesus. We did this two weeks ago. We talked about he was baptized by John the Baptist and the dove came down and rested on him and the father spoke and said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. That's the story of Jesus' baptism. Well, immediately following that, we're not even skipping one verse. The very next story is the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4. So let me read that. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So this is a story of Jesus's temptation and his victory over temptation. And there's a lot of stuff going on here. And I want to break it down into five, five 
ways of looking at this really quickly. I want to look at when Jesus is tempted. I mentioned to you that this story happens right after his baptism. It is immediately following this public affirmation from the Father, right? I mean, Jesus' Jesus' baptism, I taught two weeks ago, it was a baptism of repentance. He did not need to repent, but he decided to associate with sinners, not as a sinner, but with sinners, went through this baptism of repentance. The Holy Spirit descended on him and remained on him. That same Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit that led him out into the wilderness. And he was affirmed by the Father, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. A lot of times temptation does come right after a significant encounter with God. We will have a moment with God that is powerful, it's life-changing, it's one of those like, you know, top five memorable moments with God. You can pretty much bet that there's going to be temptation that comes shortly after that. We actually prepare the folks that we baptize, like, listen, you might be expecting that like once you go into the water, you're going to come up and everything's going to be rosy. If anything, you're putting a target on your back. And people, oftentimes people say, yeah, 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 I get it. And I'm like, I don't know if you do get it. We'll know in six weeks if you get it. And some people do get it. And they realize, listen, I'm, I'm making a proclamation of my faith. So I'm expecting there's going to be resistance to that. And I'm going to be prepared and I'm going to dig in and I'm going to have victory there. And other people are usually surprised. Well, some people are often surprised when that happens. But it's not just about baptism. It's about when God affirms, when God encourages, when God empowers, just like happened to Jesus, Satan does not like that. And he wants to go against that. He wants to make sure that that doesn't become a norm in a person's life. So he's going to bring some temptation. The temptation, if it, when it's effective in your life and in my life, actually causes us to question that experience with God. And we wonder, was it even real? We believe more in the temptation experience than in the baptism experience. Does that make sense? So then we're like, I don't know, maybe it wasn't God. It's like we're, we have higher confidence in Satan's ability to deceive than in Jesus' ability to lead. Now, this not only happened right after Jesus was baptized, but it happened right before he entered into ministry. I mean, this is the tipping point in Jesus' life where now he's about to go into public ministry and he's about to do all this stuff we love about Jesus. Heal the sick, cast out demons, perform miracles, teach the kingdom. You know, he's, but he's about to go into this and Satan is attacking him. This is, the, at least from the stories we have in the New Testament, this is the most intense attack that Jesus faces. I doubt it's the only time, but this is the most intense attack where Satan is trying to tempt him. But it happens right after this public proclamation that God loves him and Jesus is his, as God's son. And it happens right before Jesus is launching out into ministry. So sometimes Satan will come after you right after you have this powerful encounter with God. But other times he'll come at you right before God is about to move you into something. Right before God is about to call you into like a different type of ministry, maybe a different position at your job, maybe another kid or another kid, or another kid, or something like that. Those are all new ministries. But 
or maybe it's something at the church, maybe it's something in the neighborhood, whatever it is, right before you're about to step into a new assignment from God, Satan will come at you because he wants to disqualify you and discourage you and distract you. So this temptation takes place right after the baptism and right before the public ministry of Jesus. I also want to look at where Jesus was when he was tempted. Verse 1 says Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is, I think, going back to, it's a reminder, who, who else went into the wilderness? The entire Israelite nation, right? And they went for 40 years. Jesus went for 40 days. Jesus is rehashing that experience, but he's going to show them this is how it's done. I'm going to go through this as an individual, and I'm not going to complain about the food. I just won't eat food. And Jesus wins. Jesus has victory. But he goes into the wilderness. He's by himself. He's totally isolated. And not only that, he goes 40 days without food and drink, fasting. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm hungry. Well, I'm hungry, period. I'm angry if I don't eat every four hours, you know? And, and in recovery meetings like AA and NA, they talk about this acronym HALT, H-A-L-T. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, that's when you're most vulnerable. I found there to be a lot of truth in that. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you don't think straight. You make bad decisions. You go for that kind of easy relief easy, uh, you know, thing that's going to make you feel better. If you're someone who struggled with addiction, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, but Jesus was hungry and lonely, probably tired. I don't know if he was angry, but he was in this vulnerable state. He had not gotten, a, you know, we're not talking about, oh, I got a full night's sleep. I'm real hydrated. You know, I've done my stretches. I feel good. He's vulnerable. And that's when Satan goes at him. Satan does not play fair. He's going to wait till you're vulnerable and come and go at you. Now, many people think that they can avoid temptation by isolating themselves. I won't talk to this person. I won't do this. I won't do that. Now, I do think there's some wisdom in that. Like, you know, you don't need to walk by Club Risque every day. You know, you don't need to have this TV channel and this on your computer and you don't need, you know, if, if you're, if you struggle with alcohol, like you don't need to stop by the bar just to say hello to, like there's some wisdom in avoiding those things, but I want you, I want to let you know, like that is not going to solve all of your problems. I mean, where did Jesus go to be tempted? Into isolation. And there is a difference between uh, <clears throat> solitude where we go to be with God and then isolation where we're hiding from people. And Jesus was in the wilderness. I think he went in for the purpose of solitude, but Satan went at him when he was with no one else. He was by himself. And so you, you can't just hide from sin. That's the point I want to make. You can't just hide from sin. You can avoid this and avoid that and avoid this and avoid that. And there is wisdom in that, but sin ultimately is in here, which you cannot hide from. And so you are going to have to deal with it in here. You can't just have this super disciplined life where you avoid all external stimuli. It's got to be dealt with in here. <coughs> now, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's hungry. He's lonely. This is where Satan comes at him. 
Satan is the one who comes at Jesus. This is who tempts him. It's not from God. This temptation comes from the devil, okay? We understand de- the devil and Satan to be the same being. That's true. That's how the Bible explains Satan and the devil. The word devil means accuser or slanderer, and the word diabolical comes from the word for devil. So when you consider something to be a diabolical, it's a, re- a reference to, it's, it's devilish, it's satanic. The devil is a personal evil, a lot, of, a lot of times we struggle with where, what's the source of evil in the world? Where did evil come from? Is it just, is it this like karma, cosmic force that floats in the world? Is evil, a, is it a philosophical idea? Like, well, anything that's you know, not for the greater good is evil? Well, no, the Bible teaches that evil is in a person, the devil, it's not an idea, it's not a philosophy, it's not a force, it's a person. There is a personal force, personal uh, entity behind evil, and it's the devil. Evil is what he's made it to be, and he is anti-God. The word Satan means adversary. Satan is just anti-God. Whatever God's for, Satan's against. They've never agreed on anything. And so Satan, uh, Satan is the adversary. He's event against God. He's a personal creature created by God. He's the supreme enemy of God and humankind. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew teaches that he is the ruler of demons. This is in Matthew 9 and Matthew 12. And the Gospel of John says in three different places, John 12, John 14, John 16, it calls the devil the ruler of this world. Now you might think, I thought God was the ruler of this world. Well, God's the ruler of everything, okay? He's the creator and sustainer of all things. Who did he delegate the world, earth, to? Adam and Eve, He delegated the earth to Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve were ruling the earth under God's command. Satan usurped Adam and Eve's authority. Satan did not usurp God's authority. He usurped our authority. That authority then was taken back by Jesus, and Jesus gave it to his followers. Does that make sense? But... Outside of the kingdom, Satan is, or the devil is called, the ruler of this world. And the way that the, world, the word world, cosmos, is used in that passage is like the systems. The systems of this world are ruled by Satan. The conservative Republican systems, ruled by Satan. The liberal Democrat systems, ruled by Satan. Do you understand? All those systems, you know, the eagle's defense, ruled by Satan. All the systems of this world. So, you know, I know you can say, I, 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 like, this, I like this system. I like this philosophy. I like this idea. Okay, that's your favorite satanic philosophy. Okay, congrats. There's a kingdom of, there's a kingdom of Jesus. That's what's ruled by Jesus. Is that, you understand what I'm saying? So like, I'm not, we should participate in our democracy, we should vote, we should, but you don't need to make it your identity. 
You don't need to defend it. This is how I know that we, when people take politics too far is they defend it no matter what. Vote for who you think is the best candidate. Go for it. I don't think it's a sin to vote for this person or that person, but I think when we feel that we have to defend everything they do, even when it's clearly against the Bible, that's when it goes too far. When we don't say, well, you know what? I, I support them insofar as they do this, but I can't defend that. I can't defend that. The systems of the world, Satan's the ruler of those systems. Now, let's look at really quickly how Jesus was tempted. It says in Hebrews that he's tempted in every way just as we are. Jesus is tempted the same way you and I are tempted. Now, we might picture this story as like Satan shows up. He, what's he wearing? Obviously, red tights, right? I mean, everyone knows. Everyone's idea of Satan is formed by a skit from Saturday Night Live with John Lovitz in the People's Court from 1986, which I watched several times this week, and I called that sermon preparation. <laughs> Satan does not show up to me in red tights with a pitchfork and horns to tempt me, right? And it says that Jesus is tempted the same way we are. We often picture this story you know, Satan walks up to Jesus. I don't know about you. If, if, I mean, if Satan showed up to you in physical form, wouldn't that kind of blow his cover? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be really easy to resist? And it's also not, you know, the, that kind of cartoonish, like a little devil over this shoulder and a little angel. That's not the way this works. The way Satan tempts me, and I would assume the way he tempts you, is usually in the mind or in the heart. And sometimes you don't even know that those ideas and thoughts are his. You think they're yours. He wants you to think they're yours. The voices, the ideas, the little hints, the little encouragements to go the wrong way. This is how Satan tempts us, and I think this is how Satan tempts Jesus, because look at how this temptation goes. The first temptation is Jesus has been going 40 days without eating, and what does Satan do? He says, well, turn these stones into bread. That seems like a relevant temptation to someone that hasn't eaten for 40 days. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 back to him. He says, it's written that man should not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then how does Satan tempt Jesus the second time? He quotes the Bible to Jesus. Did you notice this? It, Satan quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus. Psalm 91 is one of my favorite psalms. It's a psalm of protection. I go, uh, every time my family goes on vacation, I get everybody in the car and then I go walk through my house and pray Psalm 91. I read it out loud as I walk through my house and I pray through Psalm 91 while they're all waiting in the car and then I go out and we go. Psalm 91 is this awesome, it's a, it's a psalm of protection. God is gonna preserve you, God is gonna protect you, nothing can harm you, no enemy's gonna come near your tent, that type of thing. Satan says, Satan takes Jesus up to the top of the temple, this really tall building, and says, jump off. I mean, doesn't the Bible say? God will command his angels concerning you. On their hands, you will be borne up. They won't, let your fight, they won't let your foot strike a stone. Look, Jesus, God's gonna protect you. Jump off a building. He quoted the Bible. Well, what does Jesus say? He says, well, on the other hand, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan has this way of even tempting us 
in religious sounding terminology. And I think that this really gets like Christians who aren't discerning, who they're like, well, I heard, I heard a Bible reference, I guess it must be true, and who don't understand it. The reason Jesus understood that this was a temptation was because it's a, it's a violation of the passage in Deuteronomy 6 that says, I'm not going to test God. Psalm 91 is a promise of God's protection. It's not permission to be stupid. It's God saying, I'm going to protect you, but you don't need to be jumping off buildings. When I go through my house and pray Psalm 91, I still lock the doors. If I left the doors wide open, I'm gone for 10 days, doors are wide open, God will protect us. That's essentially what Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to do. You know, I believe God protects me. I still wear my seatbelt. I'm not going to step in front of a bus to test it, right? And that's what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do, step in front of a bus. Let's see if God's going to protect you. The, The interesting thing about this is Satan's trying to get Jesus to prove himself. And so sometimes temptation comes from us feeling the need to prove ourselves or prove God. So Jesus, of course, knows how to handle the word of God better than Satan. He doesn't fall for this manipulative uh, trick. And then the third temptation, uh, it says that Satan took Jesus up to a mountain in verse 8 and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Well, there's no mountain in Jerusalem high enough to see the whole world. There's actually, there's no mountain anywhere that you can see the whole world. And so this probably was not a literal trip that they took to a high mountain. This is probably a vision or maybe a little voice or a picture in Jesus's head that Satan planted like a seed because you have those pictures, don't you? You picture something, you see something, you think something, you hear something, you feel something and it leads to temptation. I doubt that they took a trip to the highest mountain in the world because even still, at Mount Everest, you still can't see all the kingdoms of the world from there. So this probably, Jesus is being tempted the way you and I are tempted, subtly, in our minds and in our hearts, going about what we believe and how we feel. This is the final thing I want to look at. How did Jesus overcome temptation? Every single time, he responded with scripture. He quotes, every scripture he quotes is from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy was being written while Israel was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He's going back to the scriptures that came out of 40 years in the wilderness and he's using for 40 days in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 6, and Deuteronomy 6. Again, every, every time he responds, it's with a passage from the Bible. And even though Jesus was the son of God, he defeated Satan by using the weapon that you and I all have access to, the sword of the spirit. And what made Jesus's use of scripture so powerful was that he actually believed it. So the way that Satan tempted Adam and Eve, you know, God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat from that garden in the middle, uh, don't eat from that tree in the middle of the garden, or you'll die. What did Satan say? He didn't really say that. And you won't die. I mean, Satan's, Satan's temptation requires that he has to question what God has said. Well, how does Satan tempt Jesus? God says, this is my son whom I love. What's the first thing out of Satan's mouth? If you're really God's son, 
And he says it multiple times. So he uses the same thing on Jesus that he used on Adam and Eve. He questions what God has said. Adam and Eve join Satan in questioning what God has said. Oh, maybe he didn't say that. Maybe he didn't mean what he said he meant. What makes Jesus different is he believed what God said. There was nothing that Satan could do to get Jesus to stop believing what God had said. So Jesus responds to the temptation by quoting scripture. And he understands scripture correctly. And it seems like Jesus is not just rattling off a couple quotes that he learned in VBS, but that he has actually internalized these passages and he knows exactly how to apply them and where they fit. If you want to overcome temptation, you're going to have to know God's word. And you're also going to have to know who you are. You're going to Sometimes we fall into temptation and sin because we just don't know what the Bible teaches. Other times we fall into temptation and sin, we know what the Bible teaches, but we're just insecure and vulnerable, and we think that if we go down this path, it's going to fix our insecurities and we'll no longer be vulnerable. Jesus was neither vulnerable to that, nor was he ignorant of God's word, and that's why he was able to overcome temptation. I've asked Pastor John Eric if he would come and lead us in a prayer response uh, and so he's going to come up and do that. But I want to remind you that in 1 Corinthians it says that the temptation we deal with is common and God always provides a means of escape. And in James 4 it says to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's the first step of spiritual warfare. Resist the devil and he'll flee. And that's what we saw in the story with Jesus. As soon as Jesus said no in that third time, he said, go Satan. And what did Satan do? He went. So I want to encourage you, know God's word. There's a way out when we're tempted. If you resist Satan, he will eventually flee. Pastor John Eric, come on up. Amen. So in light of that, I would like to just um, spend some time praying through 1 Corinthians 10 uh, together. Because I believe that there is a strengthening of the Lord for us in this, right? These, um, <clears throat> this is not just a story. This is an example. <laughs> an example for us to follow. And it's not just a far-fetched thing. It's something that is attainable. Why? Because of Jesus who lives in you, right? So his word encourages us and increases our faith. Uh, and we can trust Trust him in these ways that there is a way out. So look, look at 1 Corinthians 10 and we're going to look at verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And verse 14 is directly connected and it says, Therefore, my beloved, free from idolatry, right? So the temptation, God's faithfulness, and providing a way out, and we can endure it. And the direct call is to flee from idolatry. Amen? So uh, as you are seated there, I would like, I would just I'll ask you at home and those who are here to Close your eyes and draw your attention to the Lord in this moment. And as I read this, 
personalize it. Say to the Lord, recite in your head, no temptation has overtaken me that is not common. Say this in your head, God is faithful and he will not let me be tempted beyond my ability. Say this, he will provide a way out for me that I may be able to endure it. Therefore, I will flee from idolatry. Lord, I thank you that in this moment, as we sat under the teaching of your word, the strength is coming by a deposit of your spirit of faith inside of us. And so this is a word that is attainable and is possible because of who you are and what you have done. Jesus, we as a church, we bless you and we thank you for overcoming temptation. And we thank you for bearing all of our sins upon your shoulders and making an end to whatever accusation or whatever scheme of the enemy and disarming him so that we can be a victorious church. Let's stand up together, church, and let's declare this out loud. Say with me, I declare that because Jesus, his blood, his blood shed on the cross, sorry, and the forgiveness of my sin, and his spirit inside of me, I can resist temptation. And by the grace of Jesus, I will resist temptation. Amen. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.